0: And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show, but I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. In December 2021, when I sat down to record today's episode with legacy guest Dave Hollis, I had just come through An incredibly difficult breakup. I had COVID. I was getting ready to leave Portland, Oregon and move to Denver. And my life was very upside down. I'll be honest with you. And because I feel it necessary to heal wounds before talking about them, I didn't really share what was going on in my life when I recorded this episode. But it was... Interestingly enough, a divine timing for me because when I sat down to have this conversation with Dave, the biggest thing that we talked about was facing your fears and shifting your identity. There's no question that as we go through this journey, courage is at the cornerstone of everything that we build. And right around this time, Dave had released his book, Built Through Courage, which was a really beautiful conversation about his own personal journey, his crisis, his being divorced and becoming a single father to four kids whom many were adopted. It was this really interesting time in his life where even on social, he had kind of disappeared and said, hey, I need a mental break. And when I recorded this with Dave, I thought to myself, you know, I need a mental break too. I need a reset. I need a recharge. And for the last, now, what is it, 18, 19 months, here I've been, I guess it's really 15, excuse me, months. I've been here in Denver. And Denver has been good. It's treated me well. But ultimately, there is something ahead. And so I will be making my way to another location here shortly. And yet again, having an internal dialogue about fear, about the unknown, about the willingness to chase your dream, about how courage is the only way that I can build anything. And I believe that for you as well, courage may be, in fact, the only way that you can build the life that you want to have. And it is demanding and it is scary. And at times we wonder, what the hell are we really doing? And sometimes you sit down with a stranger And you have a beautiful conversation and you look at this person, you go They're where I want to be in some semblance, they've created a life in respect of the life that I want to create. They've been able to help and impact the world and create change. And they've been able to have real conversations about their journey. And that's what this conversation I have with Dave is. In fact, what's really interesting about this conversation is actually the number one episode in the history of the podcast. Number one by a stretch. And there's a lot of reasons why, maybe because Dave had some things going on publicly, or maybe just because it was the conversation that in 2021, a lot of people besides me needed to hear And so I'm very excited to get into this episode with you again. It's very emotional at times. We go to places that, to be honest, I don't generally get to go with most guests. And Dave came in a way that was beautiful and vulnerable and most importantly, authentic. And we talked about fear and identity and divorce and loss and what it's like being a dad and so many other things. So I'm looking forward to sharing this legacy episode with you here today. Do me a favor, head over to Think Unbroken on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, and of course, we're on Think Unbroken Podcast on YouTube. Give us a follow, subscribe, leave a review. That way you can help other people find the show and you can play a role in ending generational trauma and sharing this information and education with other people who are on the healing journey as well. Thank you so much, my friends. I'm very excited for this episode and for this conversation, and without further ado, Here's Dave Hollis. You're listening to the Think Unbroken podcast, and I'm your host, Michael Unbroken. I'm an author, speaker, coach, and advocate for adult survivors of childhood trauma and abuse. In this podcast, you will learn how to transform your trauma into triumph, turn breakdowns into breakthroughs, and go from victim to being the hero of your own story. You can learn more at thinkunbrokenpodcast.com, and of course, check us out on Apple Podcasts and Spotify at Think Unbroken Podcast. Hey, what's up, Unbroken Nation? Hope that you're doing well wherever you are in the world today. I am very excited to be back with you with another episode with my guest, Dave Hollis, who is an author, speaker, coach. And honestly, one of the coolest dudes I've ever had the pleasure of knowing in this moment. Dave, my friend, how are you? What is going on in your world today?
1: Oh, I am doing well. Thank you for bringing me into this community. I'm excited for today's conversation and appreciate you having me here.
0: Yeah, pleasure is all mine. And I know the community Unbroken Nation is going to get so much value out of our conversation today. Dave, for those of you who don't know you, can you tell us a little bit about your backstory and how you got to where you are today? Yeah. I'm a father of four
1: kids, uh, previously father, uh, foster father to four kids as well. I am someone who has experienced quite a bit of change over the last five, six years of my life, both change that I have chosen and change that has chosen me. I am the beneficiary of the discomfort that exists inside of change, something I'm sure we'll talk about today. Uh, but I had a career inside of traditional entertainment for the better part of 20, 22, three years, where I worked at Fox in talent management and publicity research, a handful of different companies before landing at the Walt Disney Company. I had a 17-year career inside of Disney, the last seven of which, where I was the head of sales for the movie studio. It was a fantastic job, until it wasn't for whatever reason satisfying some of the things that I was looking for in fulfillment or purpose as I was myself cresting my uh, 40th birthday, going from 30 to 40, introduced a bunch of interesting existential questions about why I was here. And now that I was asking these questions, I had to do something about it. So I left uh, a big job that most people might not leave for the adventure of entrepreneurship. I moved my family from California, where we'd lived our entire life, to just outside of Austin, Texas, Dripping Springs. And for the last handful of years, been working in writing books and hosting podcasts and doing coaching, things that uh, I'm very much a work in progress in. Uh, I'm still very new inside of this space, enjoying it immensely, but also still fighting my way in in a way that uh, sometimes triggers my insecurity, sometimes triggers my imposter syndrome, sometimes triggers the things that get triggered. Um, but all of those triggers in some ways being complicit in how I'm growing and learning and becoming this better version of who I um, am on this planet to be. And uh, that pursuit for understanding why I was given these gifts and why I am here um, has really been the adventure of the last handful of years. And so um, I am uh, a work in progress, like I say, more than almost anything else. A thing that I think I had a negative attribution for for many, many years of my life. And now something I wear like a badge of honor. It's just gonna be my story for the rest of time. And um, I'm excited that I am in the fortuitous position to share a little bit of how I continue to be that work in progress with a community of people online and with new audiences like yours on
0: a day like today. You know, it's so fascinating to me. Like, So if you're watching right now, as opposed to listening to the podcast, you'll notice the office space is different. Um, I'm actually recording in my kitchen as opposed to the office as I am in a transition. And I come to what you just said about change. I think not only is change inevitable, but change is a must, because ultimately you're, you're faced at this precipice where everything in your life isn't necessarily about a decision you have to make, but instead about the fear that you must face about the decision that you have to make. And people look at your life, those who may know a little bit more about you, or even just in this quick moment and go, man, this guy gave up Disney. What is he on crack? Like, who does that? But there is innately and probably inherently something so deeply and in pulling inside of us that it says, if I don't do this, I will be unfulfilled. And yet you are faced with this juxtaposition of this tremendous existential crisis while simultaneously parlaying that with fear and people get stuck there. And I think like to me, that is the most terrifying place to be as a human being. And so when you're looking at your life and you're assessing change and you're talking about what is next for Dave while simultaneously trying to follow your heart and not have a mortality event, how do you navigate that? Well, it's interesting because for so many years,
1: certainty was my North Star. Like if I could just have a title that was important enough or status that was meaningful enough or salary that made me feel safe enough, then... I could cling to or rest easy in this certainty I thought was the most important thing in the entire world. And then I found myself having more and more certainty as a part of my life. And it was inversely related to the way I felt about myself when I was by myself, because in some ways that certainty came at the expense of growth. And so part of what I have now been on this discovery journey on the last three years of life around has been understanding the inextricable tie that exists between growth and fulfillment, and the requirements in that knowledge that comes in constantly pushing and putting myself into spaces that are new, that I don't yet have mastery in, that I have to actually fail through so that I can grow. And it started interestingly enough with a conversation unexpectedly with my younger children when around this 40th birthday in the midst, of me as this head of sales at the Walt Disney Company, struggling to hold both the, um, the thing I thought I needed and wanted in certainty, and the discontent or the lack of fulfillment that existed inside of that certainty. We were out back, we're having a conversation in the hot tub playing a game that we usually played, ask dad anything. My boys at the time were nine, seven and four. And my seven year old asks this question, Dad, what are you most afraid of? And as much as he's looking for silly stuff, because this was usually a silly game, he wants, you know, spiders or scorpions or dragons or something out of my mouth, falls not living up to my potential. As in, like, I know I have some responsibility to honor the intention of a creator who put me here for a reason. In real time, I found myself living into my greatest fear because the quality of the films and the quality of the teams and the quality of the leadership were such that I was getting straight A grades without having to study for tests. And in that world where I was doing well against the conventional definition of what a good man does or a good person does or someone who is admired because of the work or their money or whatever it might be, I had stopped growing and in the absence of growth, Really, in some, like, what of a binary way? I do believe you're either growing or dying. I was starting to die in some respects of my life. And now that I could see that thing, what the last three years have, for me, has been this reminder that I have an obligation to honor this thing I saw and can't unsee, actually living into my potential. That actually pushing myself to use the gifts that were given exclusively to me for the intent of being use to gift that gift to other people is a thing I have to do. And the only way I can do that is to continually push myself into spaces that make me feel a little bit uncomfortable. And what's beautiful in a world where change ends up being a constant, I said it at the beginning, like change has either been a thing that I have chosen, making this decision to leave so that I can manufacture growth, a thing that I know I need in my life, or change has chosen me, where unforeseen things or unthinkable you know, circumstances, end of my marriage, end of a business that I had been running and operating with my now ex-wife, were things that actually acted as a catalyst because of that change, not in spite of, for me to dig into who I was now going to become because of who I had to be and working through the adversity of change that I wouldn't have necessarily been interested
0: in, but that I was the beneficiary of for having gone through it. It almost fills serendipitous in a sense, right? Because I feel like, and and I don't know if this is your experience as well, but often there is this thought that I have as my head is on the pillow and that feels very quite realistically, the thing that I know I'm supposed to do. And if I ignore that thought, it's almost like trying to climb Mount Everest. Like Wim Hof style, like it's almost impossible. You can do it, but it's going to be really, really difficult, and it's going to take from you more than you are ever given because you're 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 basically living a falsehood. And, and I think one of the things that's fascinating about your journey, and what you said, is even being you know a few years into this side about coaching and speaking and authoring, still facing that part of you where it's like, oh, is this really who I am? Is there imposter syndrome? Is you know limiting self beliefs, things of that nature. And what I'm curious about is in that, and and this will be a very personalized question, I think for me, so I apologize, Unbroken Nation, but I I really have to ask this. How do you navigate those experiences of self-discovery while wanting to impact and empower the world while simultaneously figuring it out for yourself in real time? It's tough. I'll be honest, like
1: this is a thing that I am working through every single day on the regular because in so many ways, My journey of discovery and the attempt to capture the things that I've discovered for myself in a book or a podcast or in coaching is a reflection of my journey, one that is still very much playing out in real time. Like, I I am still learning things that make me both teacher and student at the same time. And so the, the one thing that I think ends up being a little bit tough for anyone who feels called into a space to help others, or to share their experiences, is the danger that in some way, especially with the hyper curated way that social media tends to represent a best case scenario or a a curated version of everything being great. Trust me, it's it's fantastic. Life isn't that way. Like struggle is part of the journey. It's non-linear. I have three great days and then I have a hard day. And the weird thing about trying to teach while you're also trying to learn is that you don't wanna be caught being placed on a pedestal that has anyone thinking that you've got it all figured out because all of us, I mean, all of us are that work in progress that I describe myself as. And so there's something in, in the work that I do anyway that I hope is somewhat of a departure from what you might traditionally find from someone else who might represent, I've got the answers, this is the answer key, you just check these boxes, this is the way it's going to work. Because I feel like personal development ends up being a personal thing. And some of the stuff that's worked for me, worked for me because it was meant to work for me, but might not necessarily work for you. And also, as much as, you know, in the book that I've written or the coaching that I do, I do feel like this might sound hubristic, but like, I do feel like I've got something of an answer key for like this being the thing that if I were to follow it, Man, I'd wake up feeling great about myself when I'm by myself, or if I could create integrity between the things I know I ought to do and the way that I actually show up in that day that is aligned with that list of things, I feel great. And yet I'm human. I still have negative coping me- mechanisms that show up. I still have fear that unexpectedly throws me off of the kind of courage or confidence or belief in self, loving myself that I'd hope to have on an every single day basis. And that's a reflection of humanity. That's, I think, a thing that each of us as humans ends up experiencing. And all I can do is try and understand, okay, what are these feelings or thoughts or emotions attempting to teach me in this never-ending journey of learning as I continue to try and reach for a better version of myself? And what's interesting is I think for each of us, when we continue to evolve into whatever our next level ends up being, we're asked a harder set of questions. It's like going through school as you continue to evolve to additional levels or next levels, the tests get harder, the challenges get tougher, the fears that you face end up being things that you haven't necessarily experienced before. And part of it ends up being that those, I think, are things that are there to ask you Are you sure that you're interested in stepping into what you believe to be the calling of your life? Because this ends up just being the price of entry. And that's hard because in some ways it runs counterintuitive to some of what I think we've been taught, which is if you just acquire enough knowledge or get a good enough circle or get enough discipline around these habits and routines, your fear goes away. You don't get triggered by these things. There aren't hard or bad days. And I think harder, bad days is just part and parcel with what it means to try and live a full and rich life, and normalizing that that's just part of the process. Hopefully, makes other people who themselves are experiencing the nonlinear journey of their own life to feel normal, to feel human, to feel
0: okay with it. Sometimes not feeling okay or feeling hard. It's really profound, and I I think two words you didn't use, but I'd I'd like to use for myself and, and hearing this in real time is. We're having a human experience like Dave. We've never had this conversation before. We have no precedent for whether or not this works. We in our day to day life have no markers for all the choices and the decisions that we make there it's, it's constantly a, a a pendulum swing of discovery. And on one side you go, okay, I'm kind of familiar with this thing a little bit. And on the other side, you're like, this is unknown territory. I'm terrified am I messing up? Am I making a mistake? Am I doing this? And I think you're so right about just the the culture of social media. And so many people bring attention to it, but the reality is like the hard days are not shared. And one of the things I I really appreciate about you and why I was so grateful that you decided to, to spend your time with me in this audience today is because of your willingness to be vulnerable. And we live in a society where there's I want to call it almost toxic vulnerability where people are just putting stuff out in the world for the sake of putting it out. And that feels very obtuse to me. But what I watched over the course of the last few years and tracking you is, and being someone where in a sense, you're a mentor to me, right? And that's because I consume your content. I read your books. I listen to the podcast. I go, this person is a marker one step ahead of where it is that I am trying to go. And what what happened was this really interesting moment in your life where you're faced with a challenge of your identity. And what I'm really curious about Dave is in that moment and in this experience where you're like, this is who I think I am. And suddenly curveball. How do you build yourself or reclaim yourself or create yourself or put yourself in a position where you can become the Dave that you are today in consideration that you've, thought you knew who you were going to be? Oh,
1: man, it's such a good question. And if there was a theme in any of what has been a tumultuous and beautiful, like the best and hardest years of my life in these last five, it's been identity shift and change because I, for so many years, had that corporate identity, that Disney thing as a part of who I was. It was the first thing I might introduce myself as in the midst of a cocktail party or regale people with in my family when we gather for Thanksgiving. After leaving that, there were things in my marriage where I identified primarily as husband to her in a way that once the marriage ended, I had to ask the question of who am I now that I'm no longer who I've been? I think a lot of times that's what the questions of identity and shift end up asking. Who are you if you aren't the modifiers that you've previously used to identify yourself? And a a lot of what I had to do, and I think what a lot of people have to do, is like make peace with what ends up being a blank piece of paper that is handed to you in the midst of shift, right? That piece of paper is your invitation to write down what your future looks like now that it no longer looks like it did, And that exercise is equal parts exhilarating and terrifying. The beginning, it tends to be more terrifying over time as you confront your fears, reignite your imagination. It can become something that is more exhilarating. But there is when you can make peace with what was and now accept that you are the captain of your ship, the master of your destiny, whatever you want to say, that there's freedom and allowing yourself to now write out whatever you want, whatever you believe to be the calling from a creator or the intuition that you've maybe not listened to necessarily, but now you're gonna pay attention to because it's time, things that were are gone, things that will be are now in your control. And in the agency that comes in deciding who you wanna be now that you're no longer who you've been, it can be something that just is powerful, once again, you're able to confront your fear and deal with your imagination. I will tell you, my, the first casualty in divorce was my imagination. I had a really, really hard time imagining what life was going to be like now that it was no longer going to be like it was going to be. And the thing at the roots of my compromised imagination was fear because I had, as it turned out, I made a list of 46 things that I was afraid of and this future that was now going to look different. I had all of this fear unconsciously and consciously, but primarily unconsciously was living inside of me that was keeping me from seeing something hopeful in my future. And it wasn't until I was able to draw those fears into the light, ask questions of whether those were real or unreal fears, And for those that were real, have a conversation around how I might plan, how I might create something of preparation to allow me to be ready, prepared for how I might handle that fear presenting itself when inevitably it would. And I would argue that a plan is the antidote to fear in so many ways. And by doing that exercise, what slowly happened is that I was putting the paddles on my uh, imagination, yelling clear and slowly bringing it back to life in a way that allowed me to start casting something of a hopeful vision for what might be, even though it was going to be different, even though I was still grieving what I wish it might have looked like, there was power in that. There's this great quote, Les Brown, uh, looks like a very famous personal development speaker. I've used it now in two books. I might use it in every book, but uh, his quote is that hope in the future is power in the present, right? Like our ability to have the imagination for something hopeful in our future is what allows us to create some traction in real time, even in the midst of crisis or grief or sadness or change or identity shift. We have to be able to have something hopeful that we're excited about. But often we allow the circumstances of our present to cloud our ability to cast that hopeful vision So it really takes some hard work of reconciling what it is that we're afraid of, what we worry our change in identity might mean to other people or to ourselves, to our uh, ability to love ourselves or or have confidence in ourselves. And once you can reconcile that, now you give yourself a chance to actually create a little bit of momentum to to move forward as you still honor the pain, as you still honor the transition, the sadness and the change that is
0: uh, part of the story of where you're at right now. In that reconciliation, how much of that, let me rephrase this. When you're going through the process of recognizing and looking at your past self through the scope of where you are in the present moment, how do you reconcile you are no longer that person while balancing, okay, I'm in this moment, the future is uncertain, but I feel like I'm starting to tap into myself. And there's this thing you, that I, I believe people cling on to as past experiences where they go, that is who I am and I cannot let go. So is reconciliation for you, letting go of that, adjusting, like, what does that actually look like for you? Well, I mean, number one, I I have been
1: through a harder little window of time and that is not comparable to a lot of the trauma that other people have been through. So I want to be careful in how I even couch the way that I have processed this because I don't want it in any way to sound dismissive of or toxic positivity-esque or rose-colored glasses in any way. But for me, the way that I've thought about my experiences is through the lens of two broad categories. Of these central experiences that have in some ways defined who I think I am and these circumstantial experiences, things that happened to have happened. They are a part of my story. They are the color commentary of my life, but they don't define who I am. And when I think about my central experiences, think of like Inside Out, that uh, animated Pixar movie, right? there are some things that are formative in our history that have been attributed positive or negative feeling. And those attributions inform in many ways who we believe ourselves to be and what we think ourselves to be capable of because of that positive or negative attribution. And, and I, I just know for myself, As much as I have had some experiences that I wouldn't have liked to necessarily go through or that I wish hadn't necessarily happened, they happened. And acceptance is part of, you know, understanding who I am, but also asking if there is a way for me to frame those experiences in a Tony Robbins-esque kind of way as being for me, not having happened to me. That's some of the hard work that happens in therapy, in conversation with God, in community with close friends on a rock in nature when I am meditating, trying to find a way to say, hey, I know at the end of 2019, I made this really bold declaration that 2020 was gonna be my best year ever. And what I didn't appreciate in going through divorce and transitioning out of a company I'd helped build, I didn't appreciate that I didn't get a say in the conditions that would bring my best forward. And as much as I am not interested, like most people are not interested in reliving 2020, I was able to, in this kind of an exercise, find a way to create positive attribution for some of the hardest things that I've had to go through as the catalysts for why I now believe myself to be stronger emotionally and mentally and physically and relationally and spiritually, right? Being forced to your knees made my strength in my God and my faith that much bigger, being challenged to understand why I think the way that I do or spending as much time I did with a therapist made me stronger emotionally and mentally. Spending time with people that I cared most about or being forced to walk alongside the trauma that my own kids were experiencing in the end of their parents' marriage brought us together and created a bond that's stronger today than it was before. Getting out and running or being in a gym and getting physically fit was training me to understand how strong I could be even in the midst of hard times. Right? All of these things were a byproduct of attempting to create positive attribution for something that was hard in my life. And the, the beauty that has been part of my story, and, and hopefully it's a thing that someone who's listening today might be able to spend a little time on, there are times when things that were a formative part of my identity, a central experience, became because of the deconstructing of the pieces that I'd afforded weight to circumstantial experiences because of time and perspective and it doesn't mean again that I'm looking to dismiss that man you didn't deserve it it wasn't fair that trauma is something you still need to honor and spend time in therapy and community and grieve but also if we're able to see these things as maybe the reason why we're the warrior now that can handle whatever comes next or stronger because of having survived them or if over time we're able to release ourselves from some of the weight that we have assigned to them in a way that make them things that happened to have happened but don't get a say in who we are we now are the authors of what of our experiences define us and it's hard work it's long work it's complicated work. And it's work that, you know, for me has been a three and a half plus year kind of journey that will likely never end. As I continue to try to find how putting myself into situations that sometimes introduce pain or trauma or grief are things that are ultimately going to be part of why
0: I've become who I'm known as at the end of my life. It's very beautifully said. I, I tell people all the time, this healing journey is a forever journey. I came to the conclusion of that one spring day in my therapist's office after the 500th straight Wednesday in a row, sitting there watching the rain trickle down the window and looking at him and and going, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be here. And I'm so tired of this thing, right? And, And him just going, you know, the reality is that some people have to accept their reality. Acceptance being this really powerful word that this is life and that's not necessarily a bad thing but i I think and one of the things i want to pull to here is i think especially as men and men in america this idea of therapy and working through trauma people even still even in 2021 as we head into whatever's next in the future of our lives there is still this really gross gross nomenclature around it about weakness about you're not a man about you cry. Dude, I have a, there's a Adidas commercial that comes on with the old guy running where he's breaking out of the hospital. It's like I break out just busting out in tears, right? But there's this stigma that still exists around toxic masculinity. What was your experience like stepping into therapy as this person who was in a phase of self discovery in which you were?
1: Yeah. Well, number one, I mean, I, I even wrote this line in my book like I have had a Cal Ripken esque streak of consecutive crying days. I am all for the expression of emotion, and I am not ashamed in any way about crying. I think one of the strongest and most important signs of strength is the willingness to get help. And as much as it runs counter-culturally sometimes to the definition of masculinity or what real men might do, I know the kind of breakthroughs that I have had in therapy as an accelerant to my healing journey. Not to say that, oh, I'm never... And I'm out of grieving or I'm not still healing from some of the things that I've been through. I just know that I've been able to process things in a getting a bit of an answer key kind of way because of the the gift, the benefit of having an objective third party challenge why I think the way I think. What's interesting for me is as much as i had been in therapy off and on, I mean, not even off and on, consistently for years prior to the end of my marriage, at the end of it, because... Identity was such a big thing that was shifting. I intentionally went and tried to find someone who might support me in the concept of self, like, who am I now that I'm no longer who I've been was my big question, and I found a therapist that specialized in something called internal family systems, where you get to be as self, the observer of your emotions and your thoughts in a way that disconnects you from them being who you are, that was so much a gift, right? Like the idea that I'm not my thoughts, but that I am the observer of my thoughts or that I'm not my emotions, I am the observer of my emotions, allowed me actually to make a relationship with my thoughts or my emotions to like become an investigator, to understand why they exist and what role they believe themselves to be playing. And it's something that would never have occurred to me. I would have never, because it sounds crazy. Even there's someone listening right now that's like, this guy's gone off the old ladder. Uh, let's check to make sure he didn't fall and hurt his back. Look, it might sound crazy, but I'm here to tell you it was one of, and has been, one of the most powerful and important exercises that was introduced by someone who clinically had a bunch of schooling around it, understands how to manage a, a conversation through it. And so I'll give you a four example. I struggle with anxiety and anxiety is just, you know, more than anything, the fear of what might happen. Like the, the imagination that we each have of how many things could happen, allowing sometimes the worst case scenario version of those things to be the thing that we get preoccupied with and ideate on. And when my anxiety now shows up because of the work I did with this therapist, I actually have named my anxiety. His name is Clark. I sit him down in a table and chairs kind of setting, an office setting. And I have a conversation with Clark. Hey, Clark, why do you believe yourself to be here? What role do you think that you're playing? And in this therapy, there's this recognition that the parts that we have, the feelings or emotions that we have, they believe themselves here to help us. And so I have this conversation to understand what, Clark, do you think you are here to help me with? And what's beautiful is that as much as I used to when I got anxious, think I was anxious and would just spin a bit, might devolve into a negative coping mechanism that wasn't actually serving me to mute the voice of that anxiety. I now am engaging in it in a way that recognizes I am not this feeling. I'm the observer of it and get to ask it questions. Now I'm afforded the benefit of intel. And what Clark usually points out is, hey, if uh, there's a part of your life, where there is just enough ambiguity, I feel like I have a responsibility to train your focus to it, such that if you were able to put together a little bit of a plan in this part of your life, I would feel like I have permission to now leave and I will have done my job in drawing your attention to this ambiguous space. And so in a crazy way that's super disconnected from the way I used to feel when I got anxious, In having this conversation, I'm not this feeling. I'm the observer of it. I get to ask it questions. I bizarrely almost have developed some gratitude over this feeling popping up that I now get to ask questions of because of the way it draws my focus to some part of my life that doesn't have a plan. Great, I'll make a plan. Plan becomes the antidote to fear. And now I actually have something that allows me to sleep more soundly or worry less because I'm prepared for whatever that ambiguous part of my life was that if not for anxiety popping up, I would not maybe have
0: been aware of. Yeah, and without going to therapy, you may not even have the answer to get to that place.
1: At all, at all. It was a gift that came in a conversation from somebody who, by the way, as he was describing the process and this idea that like, you're the observer and their parts that think they're helping, I was skeptical. I was, I was, you know, like, because of, I think, some of the current that exists in traditional society, like, are you sure this sounds woo-woo, and then? I put it to practice and it's been, it's been helpful for me. And got, guess what? It might not be helpful for everyone, but I feel pretty confident that sitting and having a conversation with a therapist of some kind is a thing that would be
0: cathartic and helpful for anyone trying to process literally anything in their life. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And everyone who listens to the show knows that I'm a huge proponent of it. I think that it, is, it should be obligatory like as a human being especially in the society that we live in to go through that because there are traumas and and a lot of it you don't even recognize are impacting you until you start looking at your behaviors and trying to understand to your point why do i do the things that i do and i think that's what's so fascinating about stepping in and sitting in that chair and having that that mirror and go well have you thought about this because in my in my experience like going through gestalt therapy being the most powerful for me I was able to make meaning because I consider myself to be uh, very analytical. So I look for rhyme and reason. Is there causation as a correlation? And within that, can I create a scope of action? And I love that you point to this idea about creating a plan to get through where you are right now. One of the things I'm really curious about, and, and I'll preface this question with this. I do not have children. I do not know if I will ever have children. That said, I know that many of the people of the Unbroken Nation do. And the question that I, that I want to ask on their behalf is this, when you are in a position that you are in this transition of life, looking through the scope of identity, having an existential crisis, if you don't mind if I use those words, and simultaneously going through a divorce while trying not to destroy your kids, how do you navigate that? Because I know there's someone listening right now who's in that position that needs some guidance. I mean, one day at a time. What I mean, here's the headline, you know, anyone
1: who has been married and finds themselves in divorce is not going to be good at co-parenting on the first day. It is a guarantee because it's not a skill that you've ever trained for. And in the same way that, you know, becoming a parent for the first time is something you might read a book like what to expect when you're expecting or ask your friends who have kids. There is no resource or conversation on the planet that's going to fully prepare you for what it's like to actually be a parent. And so it requires just a heavy dose of grace. Anytime there's change with kids, not kids, but for me, with kids, uh, you know, there were things that I did thinking it was in their best interest that I can see in the aftermath of now 18 months of time. Man, I probably didn't need to. I'll give you, for example, the very beginning of divorce where I was so lost in who I was going to be. I knew that being a good dad was one of the things that I absolutely 100% would have as a part of my identity. And some of that and my interest in alleviating some of their pain, some of their grief, would manifest in me alleviating some of the rules that might have historically existed in this house. Oh, you want to stay up a little bit later? Okay, that's fine. I will give in on that. You want a little more tech time? Okay. Uh, you want to, you know, like, should we splurge on buying this thing or what? Sure. And what I can see now was that, like, it wasn't my job to try and cover their grief. It's interesting. When I, uh, when my wife and I at the time were going into foster care, we got this piece of advice that I wish I had remembered at the beginning of this transition. And it was that any of these children that were coming into care care were likely coming out of trauma, you're you know, having a child who was removed for some reason from their biological parents, and that your job was not to fill the hole that might exist of that traumatic experience. Your job was to hold their hand as they walked through the valley of that trauma, to just remind them that you were there with them and not try to alleviate it or necessarily smooth that over, but just be present and walk alongside them. And I think there, there was something in the very beginning of this divorce where I forgot that lesson. I was like, oh, I wanna take your pain away. I don't want you to have to necessarily experience all of the hard. And my job was really more to hold their hand and to say, I'm here with you. If you know anything, my experience in my own therapy where I'm making these relationships with emotions and honestly having conversations with them about the way I was discovering a relationship with sadness or grief or anxiety. um, In some ways it created an empathy bridge that afforded them the same opportunity to share with me what their feelings were trying to tell them and how they were being presented with things that they had not yet previously experienced. Um, I guess the other thing I would say too, we wildly underestimate the resilience of our children. Uh, Like My kids uh, are amazing in so many ways, but part of what makes them amazing is the way that they have also themselves adapted to what ends up being a new normal. Uh, Are there things that they don't like about having two houses or Do they wish that things could have maybe turned out a different way? I'm sure in the same way that I think all of us involved, anyone involved in divorce, wishes that things could have turned out in a different way. And yet, they also are developing a tenacity and a resilience and a strength that only ends up getting born and having to walk in that valley. Whether it's me holding their hand or them walking through it themselves, they're also on a journey of discovering how strong they can be for having to go through strong things. And I think Part of the job that we have is to, yeah, be there to support them when they want to have that longer conversation about the feelings that have presented themselves, but also allow them the autonomy to experience some of the things that they're meant to experience and grow from so that they can grow um, I, you know it's I don't want my kids like anyone who is a parent probably doesn't want their i don't want my kids to experience hard things, and I also at the same time know that most of the qualities that I admire most in myself were born inside of something around adversity. And so I don't wanna, I don't wanna helicopter parents or, or prevent them from experiencing hard things at the expense of them getting the benefit of what it might mean to allow them to see how strong they're able to be or how much they're able to grow for having to do so, even if sometimes it's uncomfortable, Or isn't something that they'd wish they'd have to go through. Yeah.
0: And that's that's super profound. I mean, that's advice that if I ever have that moment for myself, I I hope that I'll remember. You know, and I hear in that a lot. And again, not to put words in your mouth, but just letting go and letting people, your children who are people, have this experience because you understand that it's going to be profound in ways that are immeasurable. And I, I think there's a lot of power in that because. It's easy, I think, especially when you are a giver, when you're a healer, when you are a person who wants to leave an impact on the world to make it better. You're like, and part of me, I'm in real time, I'm thinking about this. I'm going like, am I a control freak sometimes? Do I need to like let go so people can go and figure out the things because I can't control the future for them? And I was lucky enough at a Tony Robbins event recently to have one of my brothers. I took them with me to, to UPW, and one of them said, dude, you are a control freak. And I was like, ah. I knew it. You're right. I gotta let go. And in that, what I was thinking about was really funny because again, it's serendipity. I was listening to your book on the way back after that that trip. And you talk about ships leaving the harbor. And there's so much about letting go in that. And so what I'm curious about, Dave, is what is letting go for you? What does that mean? And and why has that become so important in your life? Well, I think. You know, it starts with just the
1: recognition of this illusion of control. You know, the idea that we in some ways can architect the next thing that's going to happen in our life is hubris. It's ego. There's, 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 it's not, it's not a thing for real. And the sooner that we can appreciate that we have an opportunity or responsibility to prepare for how we will react to the things that happen, but do not have control over the things that do is an act of surrender, right? Can't control what's gonna happen next, can only control the way that we react to the things that present themselves. I think there's also something interesting, at least for me, especially in the last like 18 months. Um, I'm a person of faith. I've prayed many times for many things. And what I think I got wrong in my prayer life for so many years was thinking that uh, praying for a thing and getting a say in the way that that prayer gets answered Are in the same neighborhood. And the reality ends up being um, many of the things that I prayed for were, in fact, answered. They were just answered in ways that were totally disconnected from how I would have done it, how it would have been most convenient for me, or how I think I might have been able to learn or grow in the way that I was hoping to learn or grow. Most of the things that I needed were never on the list of what I would have had on the menu. I would have never chosen to grow in the way that I've grown. And so part of the beauty of seeing how you've become what you have in the midst of adversity or the way that you know things you would not have chosen were actually complicit in how you've become who you are or the way that you might be known at the end of your life. It's an invitation in some ways to accept surrender as part of the way that you will ultimately become who you're, who you're meant to be, who you're supposed to be. Because so much of who I am today is a byproduct of releasing myself to um, reacting to the way that things show up and not believing that I have any control over how they do.
0: Is there a level of releasing that within yourself as well and the expectations you have around who it is that you are? Yes
1: and no. I mean, like I think part of it is like I am attempting to create something of a foundation that might afford me equilibrium, irrespective of the conditions of the seas. So like I'm trying to stay super focused on my health, my mental, emotional, relational, spiritual, and physical health. I've got a list of things that I'm trying to check boxes on and either a daily routine or my short-term goals or my habits that might allow me that stable base, that foundation. That doesn't suggest that I can control the outcome, but it says you might be able to keep your balance when the boat starts tipping because of uh, the wind picking up. So I do think that there's still some responsibility that we end up having to create something in accountability practices and habits and routines that has us as prepared as we possibly can, but also, you know, like ca- casting a vision for where you want to go doesn't mean that you get to say in how you're actually going to get there but there is ultimately something in this idea of integrity that becomes super important for the journey and in that i know like i think you know what kind of person do you need to be today to become the person you'd hope to be a year from now 5 years from now and there's a there's a very specific list of the kind of things you need to do the kind of promises you need to keep to yourself the kind of person you would need to be consistently over time to give yourself a chance of actually evolving into that person. And one of the biggest questions I've had to ask myself is how do I feel about myself when I'm by myself? And the answer to that question ends up being highly correlated to did I actually create some integrity today between that person I know I need to be to give myself a chance to become who I'm becoming or was there dissonance? Is there incongruence? And every time there's incongruence, that space that exists between who I'd have to be and who I showed up as, that's where my shame lives, my self-loathing, my lack of confidence, my lack of motivation. And so I'm on a journey to try and close the gap. Like every day, how can I just get a little bit closer to creating some integrity between who I know I'd have to be today to become this person that I believe my creator put me on the planet to be, to have maximum impact, to have um, To model for my children, the person that I'd hope that they also might become as an adult. And when I can create consecutive days of that kind of integrity, boom, there's momentum, there's pride, there's love for self, there's confidence, courage, all the things that you need. And so um, when you can create that integrity, it still doesn't change the way that you can affect how the day is going to meet you, but it changes the way that you meet the day. Irrespective of the conditions, you're now more ready when you've created integrity with who you know you need to be to become who you're meant to be.
0: Dude, if we could bottle up what you just said, we would solve every problem on planet Earth. Here's, I just wanna say this too, because I think it's important. I
1: know this to be an absolute 100% capital T truth. And I still struggle to create integrity every day, right? Just because you know it, anyone who's listening right now, this is the secret. This is everything if you just kept promises to yourself, if you just showed up the way that you were supposed to, if you handled your habits, your negative coping mechanisms, got your relationships right, your relationship with your maker, whatever it might be, if you could create that integrity, you would feel great about yourself when you're by yourself. This is the secret and yet we're human. So like it also comes with needing to have a huge amount of grace for yourself, surround yourself with the right kind of people that'll encourage you to get back up when you have one of those nonlinear bad days that you fall off track
0: but getting back to this place that's that's it's everything it is it truly is and there's momentum and i I, to come full circle in this conversation it's very much not about hubris it's not about a pedestal it's about recognizing like you're gonna have bad days you're gonna have good days can you have momentum because If you can have more good days than you have bad days, you're going to win on a long enough timeline. Dave, my friend, this conversation has been absolutely incredible. Can you tell everyone where they can find you before I ask you my last question?
1: Yes, right on. Uh, I am. Uh, I spend a lot of time on Instagram. Mr. Dave Hollis is my handle. I have a website, MrDaveHollis.com, where you can find out all kinds of things that I am up to. And I also, I have a podcast.
0: It's on Thursdays. It's called Rise Together wherever you uh, are listening to this, you can also listen to that. Brilliant. And my last question for you, my friend, is what does it mean to you to be unbroken? Well, I have been on a
1: journey of self-love for a long time. And my definition of being unbroken is finding a way to see all of yourself, the good, the bad, All of the experiences, the things you have shame for and pride for and love them as they are, even as you have an ambition to continue to grow from learning from the things that don't serve you as well as they do. And it is, um, is it an easy thing? It is not an easy thing, but there is something beautiful about making peace with and honoring, this is who I am. I was made this way on purpose. There is intention in how I was created and the things that I have experienced. And I am gonna to choose to love all of me, even as I am this messy work in progress and will be for the rest of my life. And so um, I, I, I got this quote on my arm. Uh, I'll finish up with this. It's been like a mantra for the last you know handful of years. It's a John Shedd quote. It says, a ship and harbor is safe But that's not what ships are built for. And I got it more than anything as a reminder that the life that I am interested in living exists beyond a safe harbor inside of the choppy waters where growth lives, thrives, and makes me into who I was meant to be. And I got it as a reminder that I was built for this. And my journey of self-love in so many ways has to come back to this reminder on the almost daily that I was built for this life, even though it's going to be choppy and messy and turbulent and windblown. And there are going to be days when I steer that ship like a perfect captain, and there are going to be days when I am thrown out and reaching for a rope to get back into the stinking boat, but I was built for it. And so, too, were any of you who are listening today, um, my unbroken story is the decision to continue to steer that ship inside of whatever conditions the waters might throw my way.
0: Brother, literally have goosebumps. Let's go. Thank you so much, Dave. Thank you for being here. It means the world to me. Unbroken Nation, thank you for listening. Please like, subscribe, comment, share, tell a friend. And until next time, my friends, be unbroken. I'll see you.